welcome everybody to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I got a great one today. We are talking about kitty cats being outside the litter box. That's right. It's FIC. That's feline idiopathic cystitis or fluted, which is feline lower urinary tract disease. We use both of these terms in the podcast and we use them interchangeably. So I just wanted to lay it down up front. I am talking to my friend, the one and only Dr. Lauren Palugi, and she is walking me through, what do we do about these cats? Uh, it's, it's a fascinating episode. We, we uh, talk a lot of behavior. We talk about great questions to ask the pet owners. We talk about setting expectations. We talk about treatment. We talk about um, uh, nutritional therapy, and uh, we talk a lot about diagnostics and just really work these cases up in a very rewarding way. Guys, I hope you will enjoy this episode. Let's get into it. Oh. And this episode is made possible ad-free by Purina ProPlan Veterinary Diets. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Lauren Palugi. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Andy. I'm excited to to talk about urinary health. <laughs> awesome. Well, I am uh, I am glad that you're here. Uh, you are uh, a practicing veterinarian. You do uh, some emergency work. You do community work, uh, sort of uh, volunteer work. Even uh, you are also a uh, a vet communications manager uh, at Purina, which means that you are a nutrition educator in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. And, uh, and you, we were talking just a while ago, you were an avid, uh, cyclist and mountain biker as well with three kids. So you stay busy. <laughs> I stay very busy. I wanted to talk to you today about something that is squarely in your wheelhouse. Um, it is a case that I see a lot and I always like to check myself and make sure that I am doing these cases the way that I should. I'm going to be honest about something that I struggle with, uh, as we sort of talk through this. But but I want to get your insight on a case that I have. Are you ready? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay. I have a six-year-old female spade domestic short hair named Penelope in room two. Uh, she is in for accidents in the house. She is peeing on the couch and peeing on the blankets, and the owners are baffled and very frustrated. Now, they have had Penelope for a long time. They've had her since she was a kitten. Uh, this is not a normal behavior for her, so I brought her straight in and uh, looked at this and went for a medical examination and evaluation of her and did a sterile cysto and a urinalysis as well as some blood work. I don't see anything of, of note on the blood work, which is good. I do on her cysto urinalysis see a lot of blood and some crystals. And so I am looking at this cat and immediately I say, I don't see any bacteria. I expect this is, uh, you know, lower urinary tract disease or FIC, but I am still, you know, I still worry about, is this an infection that I'm missing? Is there something else going on? I, I just want to work this case up in the best way possible because I, I, I it's a common case and I want to get it right. Let me turn this over to you and just say, starting out right here, looking at this case, how do you, Lauren, how do you treat this? Great question. So th these are common cases that we see in practice, and they are frustrating. <laughs> they're right up there with the, with the derm cases that we see on a regular basis because they're 
often chronic in nature. A lot of the times a cat that presents for inappropriate urination will present again for the same issue because of some risk factors they might have. So I usually backpedal a little bit and just try to empathize with the owners. I don't know if you've ever had a pet urinate in your house somewhere that is difficult to clean. Um, I have a, a neighbor actually who's going through this right now with her cat urinated on her couch and it essentially ruins the furniture. Um, and you love your pet. But yeah. believe it or not, this is one of the most common reasons that cats are surrendered to animal shelters. So it's it's a big problem, not just for for yeah. the owner, but for the pet as well and for for their quality of life. And I think there's this misconception that that there's, you know, always a behavioral component. Sometimes there is a behavioral component, but often in, together with the owners, we can come to some type of solution. So I think that off the bat is really important to, to, to discuss with your owner and to help them understand that you know how they're feeling and how frustrated they are and that you want to help them find a solution for yeah. their pet and, and, and for their own household so their own household isn't getting ruined at the same time. I think also even before going right into diagnostics, which is absolutely something that needs to be done in all these cases. I think trying to determine if there is a behavioral component or if it's more of a medical problem that's causing this inappropriate urination. So getting some more information about the environment, about how many cats are living at home, about just the temperament of that cat in general. So it's Penelope, what the owner would describe as a scaredy cat. I have a scaredy cat. I have two cats in my office right now, sleeping two, geriat two mm -hmm. geriatric little old ladies. And one is scared of her own shadow. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if she was a fluted cat at some point in, in her life. Thank God she isn't. But um, it, knowing that can help you understand if they kind of fall into the category of of cats that are at risk for lower urinary tract signs, which is the new name for fluted. And um, also, is the cat obese? Uh, okay. What is the environment like at home in terms of litter box maintenance? Um, yeah, are there a bunch of kids running around? I have three little kids. It's a stressful environment for cats in my household as well. So understanding all of that kind of prior to jumping into diagnosis is really helpful because you're going to need all that information anyway. Um, you did the right thing first and foremost in getting your analysis. It's really hard to make this diagnosis without having all the different pieces of the puzzle. And, and I say the pieces of the puzzle because lower urinary tract signs or fluted are multifactorial. So all that environmental stuff we just talked about, underlying medical conditions like a potential, you know, stones or urinary tract infection, um, things that we can treat um, will be you know, hopefully found out through diagnostics um, and then just individual response. So every cat's going to be different and, and the same treatment plan might not work for every single cat. And the owners play a really big role in the treatment of, of cats with FIC, of cats with lower urinary tract signs of any sort. And I can pick on my own self um, early on as a vet. I probably didn't involve the owners as much as I needed to. They play a huge role because they're the ones managing them on a day-to-day -day basis. As vets, all we can do is prescribe food and, and maybe medication to help them if, if it is a medical you know, cause of, of the signs that we're seeing. But beyond that, we're not doing a whole heck of a lot. So it's really up to the owner to be on the same page right there with us in part of that treatment plan to really get to the down to the bottom of what will help to reduce these signs and hopefully eliminate them and make that pet feel better.
Talk to me a little bit about what it means to to sort of partner with the owner, you know, at, at this phase. And, and you say, you know, you didn't include them as much as you kind of wish that you had. Help help me understand what that looks like in your mind. What you do differently now than you did earlier in your career? Yeah, so I think the the longer I've been a vet, I've I lost two of my own dogs last summer, and and just kind of experiencing pet ownership myself. When you're a brand new vet. You may have had your pets growing up. Um, you you may have a young cat or young dog. That was me for a long time. And I think experiencing different ailments in your own pets helps you empathize a lot more so with pet owners. Like if you have, God forbid, a dog that seizures, you're going to really empathize with, with someone whose pet suffer, suffers from idiopathic epilepsy. Or if you have a cat with inappropriate urination, you're really going to empathize with these, these owners that come in. So regardless of if you've gone through that, I think it's important to try to find that empathy first. Um, and that really helps with that communication. They're going to trust you more because you, you understand how they're feeling. You're validating what they're going through. And then once you're on that same page together, I think it's getting that commitment from the owner of, hey, you know, Penelope's mom, I want to help Penelope. And these are the tests that we're going to do to help figure out if there's something medically that I, as, as your vet, can treat. And here's all the things that we're going to do together. And I'm going to help you do at home so that we can address all these other factors that might be increasing the risk of Penelope having fluted, you know, or having potentially FIC, whatever diagnosis we get to, um, you know, over the course of, of examining her and doing all of her tests. But, you know, Penelope's mom, if I can't get you on the same page, we're going to have a really hard time getting her symptoms to go away. And we're going to have a really hard time getting her to feel better and having good quality of life. And we're going to have a really hard time preventing your furniture from getting peed on. So I think it's getting that buy-in so important. And we could say that for so many different diseases that we treat in veterinary medicine. I, I always think of doing like, you know, an elimination diet trial and using a hypoallergenic diet or an elemental diet that you really need that buy-in from the owner. You cannot just like send that bag home. You got to you know, make sure that they can absolutely commit 110%. Um, and the same goes for, for Fluted. And I'll talk about, you know, if we get if we get some time on this podcast about some good resources that owners can use to help to modify that environment at home to really reduce stress in these guys. Yeah, definitely. Let's, let's jump back to sort of the diagnostic process here. So I really like your sort of behavioral environmental approach, asking about stressors, things like that, that 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 totally makes sense. You know, I said uh, blood work looks good. I, I'm seeing a lot of blood and some crystals and things in in the urine. For you, when you look at this, do you ever have a question about this being a urinary tract infection or the benefit of antibiotics to it? I, that's that's the thing I said at the beginning. I said I wrestle with this. I, I'll be honest. I, I I want to be a good steward of antibiotics. I also sort of struggle and go, well, what if? What if I'm wrong and I tell them, you know, just uh, we're, we're going to we're going to approach this to FIC, but there's a, a bacterial infection. Uh, do you ever have that concern? And, and how much confidence do you have as you approach these? So the the good thing is, in Penelope's case, you already got a urinalysis and you got it via Cisto. So you have urine that you can hold aside and you can send off for culture if you decide you want to go that route. The, the fact of the matter is that young and, and adult cats have a very, very, 
very low risk of a urinary tract infection. It's like one to two percent of cats as they become more geriatric and have concurrent diseases like diabetes or renal disease, then their likelihood of having UTI goes up a little bit. But you already mentioned that Penelope is six years old. She's otherwise healthy. Her blood work was all normal. So the likelihood of her having a UTI is is very, very, very low. So the problem with just, you know, and I've done this, again, I will raise my hand and slap my own hand. I've given many a cat's community because you feel like these owners come in and you want to help them and you just, you don't want to send them home with nothing. You know, you want to try something, whether it be pain medication or antibiotics. And then sometimes you, you, give this stuff and then you're like, did it help? Maybe that is what helped. And and so you kind of go down this road of doing something that probably is doing more harm than we really realize. So we know that some of these long-acting antibiotics like anemia, when they're necessary, they're absolutely great. But when they're not necessary, they're probably wiping out a lot of the important microflora in, in the GI tract of these guys, which can impact their immune system and lead to dysbiosis down the road. And, and we don't want to do that unless we have a really good reason to give antibiotics. So I say, you know, when in doubt, do not give antibiotics. Um, and if you are really suspicious of a UTI, then send off a culture. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's no harm in doing that. And then you'll know for sure. Okay. That, I, that completely makes sense to me. I, I, I like that a lot. I like the idea of, of, of talking about the culture just to cover our bases. Then I still feel like I'm, like I'm doing things. You mentioned, you know, giving them something like, like, a. a pain management medications. And, and, and I, I do think that that's important. And honestly, that, that scratches a lot of itch for me as far as feeling like I need to do something and I want to help this cat right now. Can you talk a little bit about, about sort of pain management, um, supplemental approaches to this? And so, so we've kind of moved in and, and we, we have our culture and we can, we can confirm that there's no uh, infection, things like that. And so it seems like we're moving down the course of treating, treating this as a fluted cat. Um, Let's let's go ahead and start start talking about sort of comfort first. How do you approach that and what do you communicate to the owners? So, I mean, so the research is kind of iffy out there as to whether or not cats really do better on pain therapy or not in these cases. Um, so some vets will feel really comfortable using something like buprenorphine. You want to be pretty careful with NSAIDs and make sure that there's no renal insufficiency or anything like that um, because we don't want to be causing any renal issues um, with pain with pain medication. Um, really, the my kind of go-to is trying to get that urine really dilute and trying to get them to actually pee more um, so that we can continue to flush that bladder and reduce stress by doing this multi modal environmental modification that the owner is super involved in. So doing things to reduce stress. Um, and as we reduce stress, then a lot of the times these cats overall feel better. Um, but yeah, pain, uh, typically I, I, it's a veterinarian's choice of what they feel comfortable to use safely in their patients. Uh, but buprenorphine is pretty well tolerated by cats and and you know, pretty rare contraindications to using a drug like that. But just be careful with the NSAIDs in these guys. Okay. Let's talk about sort of stress reduction. So you, we started off with sort of environmental questions and we talked about things that are possibly affecting uh, Penelope uh, at home, things like that. Maybe maybe they have some sort of, maybe they don't. Um, but we're going to talk about sort of alleviating that stress. And then where do you go from there? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we could talk about different supplements like 
Common Care is a, a probiotic that can help reduce anxiety in cats. But I think before going down that road of considering supplementation or anxiolytics, really diving into that environment. It's like no different than a person who might need to st start a medication to help with their stress and, and what's going on in their lives. But if all those stressors are still there all the time and you're doing nothing to modify your environment, it's going to be a lot harder to feel better. It's no different for our pets. So um, there's a, a good website through Ohio State called the Indoor Pet Initiative. You could just Google it. Um, and you can find it very easily. And there's some really great resources on there. They follow the N plus one rule with essentially everything that is in the cat's life. So if you have two cats, you know, you should have three to four litter boxes if you and you should have multiple places for them to eat and drink and multiple places for them to perch or lay around or wherever they're comfortable. Um, and and most households are not set up like that for their cats. So those are some really easy things that owners can do to modify their environment and to make the environment less stressful for that cat. Also trying to identify the stressors in the house. So if you know you have a skittish cat, what is what is causing that stress? Right now, I mentioned earlier that my cats share my office with me, and that's for several different reasons. They did not grow up around my children. My children came later. Uh, they do not like my puppy. They are stressed as can be when they are not in my office. They prefer to have this as their space. They have their little cat tree over in the corner, and they can come and go as they please out of the room, but nobody else comes in here except for me. So not every cat is going to be a kid person. Not every cat or kid cat, I should say. Um, so kind of understanding your pet and trying to adapt more to them. I mean, they are cats. We, they rule the world, right? Um, and and rather, try, rather than trying to have them adapt to us. Um, and th I think that's really important to, to think about. Other things that can help to reduce stress, um, it, pheromones. So feel-away diffusers or feel-away spray can help to reduce stress in some cats. So that's always a good thing to think about. Um, and then, like I mentioned, once we have kind of that environmental component really nailed down, then maybe considering things like xylokine or, or common care or potentially some anxiolytics if you want to go down that road. But I think addressing the environment is so important. And that's a really, really I would say maybe the most important part of the puzzle um, that and and diet really uh, to really address these guys. And I think that part's often missing or the owners aren't realizing what an important role they play um, and, and think that there might be just like a magic diet or a magic pill that will take care of all the problems their cat's having. But they really have to be invested in in getting their pet to feel better. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I don't think I've I don't think I'd really process how much getting the pet owner on board with that part of it probably means. Uh, so so that's something I'm going to have to think a little bit about as far have I been impressing this on pet owners enough and probably not. So th that that all makes sense to me. It, it tracks along. Walk me through your sort of approach from a treatment standpoint. Let's just say that we have a, a spouse who's going, look, I need this cat to stop peeing on my stomach <laughs> now. And, and I think we've all seen those cases uh, where, you know, this cat is one person's cat and the other person in the house uh, tolerates the cat. And now they are really having a hard time. That's that's real stress that, that people have to manage. Walk me through sort of your steps and even like mm -hmm. a timeline of what do you what do you generally start out with? When do you have them come back or call you with updates? Help, help me go through your 
your steps and and, and I want to understand timelines too because I don't want to jump in and it's easy to do everything at once and go we're going to do uh we're going to do common care and we're going to do diet <laughs> and we're going to do a, a new water bowl and a fountain that gets them to drink and you can do all the things at once and it can be really overwhelming but you can also not take this seriously enough and then there's a lot of tension at home and this is the number one reason that cats end up in shelters and that sticks mm-hmm. with me and haunts me and I go I really don't want to not seem motivated here. So how do you balance those things? And what does your timeline look like? Gosh, timeline is going to be so individual, Andy. That's that's a hard one because every cat's going to be so different. And if you have a cat, I mean, I, I, I hate to... I always like to be positive, but if you have a cat that's coming in that's urinating inappropriately and it's one of 10 cats in a household, gosh, I mean, those are, those are really challenging cases. And sometimes we, sometimes we don't get to the bottom of those. Sometimes we can't find a solution in every single situation. But um, I think, again, I think opening that line of communication and, and setting realistic expectations are so important with our owners, right? We need to set realistic expectations. You know, the cat Penelope might urinate on the couch again, you know, before this is, before we get to the bottom of this and we, we might not stop it entirely, but we're going to do our darndest to do, to try. And we're going to see if we can find a solution, whether it be medical or behavioral or environmental or whatever it may be so that we can stop her from doing this. But again, I think we need that, we need that buy-in and we need that real realistic expectation. And timelines make me nervous because giving an owner a timeline and we're, we're not, we can't predict exactly how every patient is going to respond. So giving a timeline to an owner, I think is going to kind of, we're going to be shooting ourselves in our foot <laughs> if we don't stick to that timeline. So I think mm-hmm. if we backtrack a little, we've had this great discussion with Penelope's mom, we get her on board, we talk to her maybe about some solutions to to trying to get that urine smell out of the couch, or maybe we just cover it for now or, you know, come up with some solutions. Maybe the cat is happy confined to one room where she could put some perches in and a bunch of litter box and keep her away from some of the other things that stress her out. A lot of the times people think that cats won't like that. Some really do. Some actually like that change of environment. Some cats want to be able to go outside. I mean, sometimes that is a big stressor for them to be. Maybe they started as an indoor outdoor cat or an outdoor cat and then they got moved in. So really digging down as a vet to try to understand what changed in that cat's life or what what is happening that is is creating stress for that cat that's making this cat now do this if if that's the cause. So then as you mentioned you did blood work which is really important because there's lots of things that can cause cats to urinate more or inappropriately. So we want to make sure that we don't have any renal insufficiency or anything else going on, diabetes. Um, and then the urinalysis you mentioned that there were a lot of crystals and a lot of blood. So hematuria is pretty commonly seen with FIC cats. Um, so idiopathic cystitis, our favorite word as vets for when we don't know what causes something. So just unknown inflammation in the bladder. Blood is often what we see there. Um, but it is important to realize, too, that when we do a cysto or we palpate the bladder, we can cause iatrogenic hematuria. Um, so sometimes just spontaneous micturition can help us to know if that is real or not. So asking the owner if they see blood when they're looking, you know, at the couch or wherever the cat's urinating inappropriately or in the litter box. And then the crystals I do want to mention because I think crystals haunt veterinarians. They see them. They want to treat them. They don't feel right 
to see them on a urinalysis, um, but they can be very, very normal. And there's a lot of different studies looking at, you know, disillusion with some Purina diets where normal cats had crystals and, and crystals were not very predictive of stone type. Um, there's an interesting study that showed, I think, 28% of urine samples form crystals just from sitting out on the counter or going in the refrigerator. So just forming outside of the body in the urine. So take it, I like to use the pun, take it with a grain of salt. Don't, don't fixate in on the crystal urea. Um, on the flip side, it's really important to think about taking a radiograph as well. The number two cause of lower urinary tract signs in casts are stones. And we so often skip that because FIC is the most common, but stones are still common enough that shooting, you know, two view radiographs of the abdomen to look for stones is super important. And it's not enough to just do an ultrasound because you can miss things on an ultrasound, especially urethral disease. You can miss um, with an abdominal ultrasound. So x-rays are so easy to do. And most stones that we see in cats are going to be radiopig and you're going to see them on there. And that's going to be a treatable, treatable um, disease, whether by surgery or with disillusion, if it's a struvite stone. Then once we have all that information, we talked about antibiotics. I wouldn't do antibiotics. We talked about pain controls. The cat seems uncomfortable. Um, the cat's meowing out, crying out, seems to have strange area. Um, yeah, I think I think pain therapy is important to consider. Um, lots of different modalities for, for pain therapy. So whatever floats your boat there as a vet. Um, and then diet. Gosh, we, uh, we saved the best for last, right? Diet's super important. Um, so multimodal <laughs> environmental modification and diet really, in my opinion, are the two most important things that we could potentially do to help these guys. That makes, uh, that makes a ton of sense. Help me set expectations for the pet owners. So when they come in, and this is very individualistic, you know, and I, I don't really know how long it's going to take to see resolution of signs. And that really depends a lot on how much of an impact that can make on the cat's stress and things like that. How do you talk to pet owners about that when they say, when is this going to get better? What, what sort of language do you use? So, yeah, I, gosh, it's, it's, it's really important to stress that it's so individual and, and, and that, you know, kind of praising them and, and giving them kudos for being there, for helping their pet, helping them understand that Penelope in this example is, is not doing it out of spite. I hate when owners say that, um, you know, our, our pets are, are funny and they have funny little personality quirks, but I don't think they're intelligent enough to do it out of spite. Uh, so helping them to understand that there, there's a reason, there's a medical reason or a behavioral reason that, that your cat's doing this. And that, that can also help them to be a little bit less frustrated and a little bit more empathetic to their own pet's problem. Um, and then beyond that, I, I try not to really, again, set that timeline per se. I try to get those treatments on board. So getting them fully on board with multimodal environmental in, in enrichment, getting that pheromone spray, adding litter boxes, getting them to drink more. So a lot of different ways to get them to drink more. We can do a canned urinary diet. They can add in a, uh, a, a hydration supplement like HydroCare. They can try water fountains, extra water bowls around the house, adding water to the dry food, and then getting them on board with a therapeutic urinary diet. So urinary diets, um, namely UR, is they're formulated to get the cat to drink more water. 
water to increase urine volume. And as we increase urine volume, they urinate more frequently and and they can flush out some of these inflammatory mediators that are in their bladder and, and help to reduce their symptoms. Awesome. That's that's super helpful. Are there any final pearls of wisdom that you would put forward in approaching these cases? Are there any common pitfalls that you see people uh, falling into, any tricks that, that are commonly missed? Yeah, I, I absolutely. I, I think that um, on one side, inappropriately treating for UTIs that aren't really there, um, treating crystal urea that's not causing symptoms. Crystals don't typically cause symptoms. Um, those would be like the cat that doesn't need to be treated like a fluted cat. Then you have your true fluted cat that, you know, I, again, I think the common pitfalls is not getting the owner on board. We need to get the owner on board to get these cats to resolve, to get these cats to feel better and to stop urinating inappropriately and getting the buy-in on a diet and getting the buy-in on, on, on what they need to do and change at home, I think is, is most important. And then checking in, you know, I, I think you mentioned timeline a couple of times, and I know that owners kind of want to know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's where keeping that open line of communication can really help. Um, of, of, of checking in with them on a weekly basis. How's Penelope doing this week? Um, you know, let's let's bring her back in in a few weeks and check a urinalysis and see if her urine has less blood or is a little bit more dilute or whatever it may be. Or maybe we don't do that. Maybe we don't stress her out by bringing her in and we just monitor some of those clinical signs at home and we let the owner know what to look for and, and how to kind of manage that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... Not treating what doesn't need to be treated is really important. Um, misuse of antibiotics is a pet peeve of mine. Just treating crystals that aren't a problem is a pet peeve. And then forgetting the importance of the owner's role in the treatment of these cats and diet. We got to get them on a urinary diet to to really get that urinary environment so that these cats aren't having as many issues. What is, uh, what is your favorite resource or resources for people who want to learn more about fluted and managing FIC? Sure. So um, the Purina Institute actually has some really good resources on Center Square now. So there's a, so Purina Institute is product agnostic. You won't find any product info on there, but there is a whole nutrition resource portion of the website now called Center Square. It's um, C-E-N-T-R-E. And uh, if you just type in, you know, urinary in the little search bar, you'll find a whole bunch of different articles and you can actually um, send those to your clients. You can email them and print them out. And, and these are written by veterinarians. So it's a really good, reputable source. And then earlier I mentioned that indoorpet.osu.edu, that is um, a really great resource for all that environmental enrichment and, and probably the most important thing that the owners can be doing at home. So there's tons of resources on there that are really kind of owner driven. That's fantastic. Awesome. I'll put links to those in the show notes as well. Dr. Lauren Paluji, thank you for being here. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure, Andy. Thanks for having me. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Thanks again to Dr. Lauren Palugi for being here. Thanks to Purina Pro Plan Veterinary Supplements for making this episode possible. Guys, I hope to talk to you again soon. Be well. 